super excited about my guest this week this was one of my most favorite interviews with such an incredible person but before we get started just a quick reminder don't forget to subscribe rate and review tribe talk it's always good to spread the love we have the incredible claire pooley with me today and our talk about life about her book about just everything really inspired me it made me smile but without further ado here is Claire hi Emily Um, I'm Claire Pooley and I'm so excited to be talking to you today yeah me too I'm I've really been looking forward to this Um, so your book the sober diaries is one of the first books that I've I actually listened to it on audible Um, And it's one of the first books that I've listened to about sobriety. Um, And it brought me into this new space, this new world that I didn't really know much about and completely and utterly opened my eyes. So that was out in, it's quite a while ago now, wasn't it? Was it December 2017? It was December uh, 2017, yeah, so about a year and a half ago. Yeah. And so for, for our listeners that may not have uh, listened to it or read it yet, can you tell me a little bit about The Sober Diaries and, and how it kind of came to be? Yeah, sure. Um, I, I gave up drinking um, just over four years ago now. So it was in March 2015. And um, I was, I didn't, I didn't want to quit drinking. I was sort of, you know, because as far as I was concerned back then, drinking was my thing, you know. I mean, I, I, I was a big drinker. I enjoyed being a big drinker. I was sort of, you know, I used drink to relax, to celebrate, to commiserate for pretty much anything really. And, um, but it got to, to that point four years ago and I realized that it was having a really detrimental impact on my life both my my mental health and my physical health uh so uh just to give you some examples i was a terrible insomniac so i used to wake up at three o'clock in the morning just stressing about everything i was i was quite anxious a lot of the time which wasn't me you know i'd never been a an anxious sort of person and and i couldn't for a long time it i i didn't associate that with alcohol i thought alcohol helped anxiety or it actually was making it worse mm. um i was two stone overweight i was um uh you know i my whole life was sort of stuck in a rut and i spent a huge amount of time thinking about drinking which you know filled up my headspace in a way I really didn't want it to so I spent a lot of time thinking am I going to drink today am I not going to drink today how much am I going to drink today what should I you know all that sort of stuff and it was it was literally doing my head in um so I decided to quit and and I tried to I tried to stop drinking a number of times before, and I would never managed to to last more than a a few weeks or a few months. And I thought, by you know, in order to do things a little bit differently this time, I'd start writing about it like a diary. And 
you know, I used to write a diary when I was much younger, but I hadn't done for years. And I thought that might help. And then I thought, well, look, this is the 21st century. And instead of writing a diary, I should try writing a blog. So, and you know what? I mean, I was, I, I had no idea how to go about setting up a blog. It was, it was completely new to me. And, and I had to do it all by myself because I didn't dare tell anyone what I was up to or I didn't want to confess I had an issue with alcohol. So um, I managed to set up this blog and I called it Mummy Was a Secret Drinker. And I wrote in that blog every day what was going on in my life and how, how I was finding not drinking. And I did loads of research about how alcohol affects us and, and what it does to us mentally, what it does to us physically. And I wrote that blog for about a year. And then at the end of that year, I thought, um, you know, what, uh, maybe I should turn this blog into a book. In fact, a number of my readers said, you should turn this into a book. And that was how The Sober Diaries came about. Uh, so it was it was a book describing that first year of not drinking. Yeah, I think I abs- I really enjoyed the fact that you've got um, in the book you've got kind of a mix of fact and uh, in terms of kind of the scientific based research and your life. It's a really mm. good kind of balance between the two because I think often, especially online, you get so overwhelmed with all these facts that kind of seem to change all the time you know one minute a glass of wine is good for you the next minute we all all as a society we drink too much you know I think a lot of people can often get bombarded with information um but the fact that your your book kind of culminates that um that that scientific research and your life and kind of the way that you um you then take that research and then you put an example of your own experience and help to explain it even more um and put it into context a bit is really really useful i found um yeah because i I, what i wanted to do was sort of bring that the research to life really as as you say using using my own life Mm. um and I think the other thing I really wanted to do is I, I read when I quit drinking. I read loads about um, about not drinking. I read um, you know self help books. I read you know the Alcoholics Anonymous big book. I read loads of, of memoirs and autobiographies, and um, and I read loads of fiction. You know like Girl on a Train and all the you know anything that had a sort of alcoholic heroine was you know <laughs> I was I, I bought um, and uh, what it made me realize is that. You know, most books about uh, that people write about their experience of drinking is all about the drinking. It's all about you know what it was like when I was drinking too much, and that's all fascinating and really helpful if you've been through that yourself. But then it would stop. They get to the end of that story and it would say, "And then I quit, and mm-hmm. now everything's fine." I was like, "Well, what happened next?" <laughs> you know, yeah. How- what was it easy was it hard was it you know what did it feel like how did you cope at parties you know what did what happened when you're you know if your partner still drinks um you know was it uh, how long did it take before you could look at a glass of wine and not want to drink it you know all of those questions you know were left unanswered and that's really what I wanted to do is to write a book about what happens next yeah so you know there are a number of flashbacks to my drinking days and what that was like but most of it is about what happens next yeah yeah absolutely that's what I really enjoyed and um 
I think with that kind of openness of it and, and the, uh, your, your ability to be able to be really real and raw and honest with it as well. Um, because although I'd, I'd say that, especially when I was listening to it overall, it's a very, it's a very, well, it's incredibly positive, um, book and it's an incredibly positive, um, outlook on not drinking. Um, but at the beginning, I think maybe it felt a little bit, um, as if you were trying to work out what drinking was to you in the sense of, I, I mean, I don't know if you felt this, but in the sense of kind of that big question and you googled it am I, am I an alcoholic um and I wonder how that played out for you as you were able to read the words and and go through that process yeah um I mean I I think the world has changed quite a lot since I started writing that book and back then um you know the I felt that the language around going sober was so negative um, you know, so, you know, if you quit drinking, the, everybody would automatically, you know, the first thing they would say is, are you an alcoholic? And, you know, and the language around alcoholism and disease and, um, you know, uh, and not anonymity and all that stuff, you know, is so sort of, there's so much shame imbued in all of that. And, um, you know, and people come, it comes loaded with so much baggage. You know, if you, um, if uh, if you tell people that you are an alcoholic, they assume all sorts of really, you know, extreme stuff about you. They assume you're a terrible mother. They assume you've done awful things. They assume you hit rock bottom. You know, it's all those films we've watched over the yeah, years yeah. and that sort of stuff. And you know, and I didn't, I didn't want to spend the rest of my life defining myself by something I felt was negative. And so a lot of a lot of the the thinking I did at the beginning of the book is is what you know what issue, what has gone wrong in my life here? And, um, you know, what can I do to put it right? And what do I tell people about it? And how do I feel about it myself? And, um, you know, and things have changed now. So, you know, what, what I, I find now is that um, going sober is seen increasingly as a positive lifestyle choice. You know, it can be, you know, there, there are far more people who are quitting drinking, not because they have to necessarily, but because they choose to. Mm. Um, and they realize that a life without alcohol is actually, you know, can be um, much more um, rewarding and uplifting and healthy and, you know, um, a much better for your mental health than a life with alcohol. Mm. Um, and that doesn't necessarily mean that you hit rock bottom and you were forced into to rehab by, by a loving family. Although some people do get there and, and, you know, and that's the nature of alcohol. It is a drug and it's progressive. Mm. So, you know, but nobody wants to get to rock bottom. And, you know, and I'm very glad I never did. Um, but, uh, but, you know, uh, as I said, that's the nature of the, of the drug. Mm. I think the stigma of it as well can also help to accelerate that because people feel like, well, if I stop drinking, does that mean I've got a problem with alcohol? Yeah. But then yeah. Keep going and keep going until it does become unmanageable. Yeah, and and you know what the folklore says is is you know it's not possible to quit until you've hit rock bottom. You know, I mean, why is that true? <laughs> why is that sensible? Um, uh, because it, it's you know getting off before you the, the sort of slippery slope before you get there. I would have thought was a very wise thing to do. Mm. But you're right. You know, I I I um, 
I stopped, uh, I carried on drinking for a lot longer than I would have done because I was worried about what it said about me if I, if I quit. Mm. Um, and I thought it would be accepting a label that I didn't want to accept. And I really didn't want to spend the rest of my life in church halls, um, you know, reliving my, my misdemeanors. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I could. Do you know what I find really um, fascinating as well? I mean, um, so I was, I was in the Priory in Bristol um, for an eating disorder when I was about 21. And my only experience of alcoholics were um, some people that I had um, been related to that weren't, weren't very nice when they were drinking and, and what you could class as kind of rock bottom. And I met a few alcoholics there that were in the program in, in the Priory. And it was so confronting to me because even though I was in a hospital for an addiction of, mm. you know, an eating disorder addiction, I still had this opinion and I, I'm ashamed to say it was quite a negative opinion of what an alcoholic looked like, you know, that stereotypical yeah. thing. And I, I found that that was quite um, a hard reality to face that actually you, we, we, especially in society, like you say, you read the books, you see the films, more often than not, you will see somebody that has a problematic relationship with alcohol as a negative entity into the storyline or into that life. Mm. Um, and actually it can be anybody really. It can be somebody who, you know, decides that alcohol just doesn't really work for them. Or it could be that somebody is, um, you know, self-medicating if you like. And, and there are so many different, um, shades of gray that we don't yeah, see, isn't, yeah. aren't there? No, that's exactly it. I mean, I, I the way that we've always seen um, alco alcoholics, alcoholism, alcohol addiction is um, black and white. So mm. you know, the way we see it is you are either a normal drinker who can handle their, their, their booze or you are an alcoholic who can't because you were born that way and you have a disease. Yeah. And there is nothing in the middle. Whereas what, what medical professionals are talking about now is alcohol, alcohol use disorder, which is a spectrum. And it's not black and white. It's all those shades of gray um, from people who drink very infrequently and can take it or leave it to the rock bottom drinker. And in between, you know, there are, there are a lot of people doing what I did, which is live a perfectly normal, functioning, looking life, but self-medicating every single day with, with booze. Um, and, you know, I mean, the truth is we all, almost all of us have something that we use to knock the edges off life, you know. I mean, and life is increasingly difficult and juggling all those balls and dealing with all that stress. And we all have coping mechanisms. And some of those coping mechanisms are healthy, like exercise, although even that can become addictive. And, and some of them are not healthy, like eating too much sugar or, um, you know, not eating enough at all or, um, you know, taking prescription drugs too often or drinking, whatever it might be, they all do the same thing, which is mm. give us a way of coping with stuff we're finding difficult to cope with. Mm. Um, and, you know, somebody who uses alcohol to do that is no different from somebody who uses, um, you know, prescription painkillers or, or nicotine or mm. sugar. You know, it's, yeah. it's all the same, the same thing for the yeah. same reason. 
exactly. It's, it's, I, in, my, in my view, I think it's all about the relationship you have with whatever it mm. is, whether it's alcohol, etc. And actually, I mean, I haven't actually said this on the podcast yet, but um, I decided for my 27th birthday that I was going to quit drinking. Um, mm. And I, I've challenged myself to a year. Um, <laughs> and I was really nervous about saying mm. about it because I thought, oh my gosh, does that mean that, you know, I am an alcoholic? Does this mean that I could maybe, you know, I need to, I need to go and see somebody, etc. But actually being away from it and being able to really analyze it, I was, my relationship with it wasn't right. I wasn't drinking a lot, but I would be trying to numb myself for some yeah, reason. Yeah, exactly. It's not, it's not so much about how much you're drinking, it's about why you're drinking. Exactly, and, yeah. You know, if you can, you know, what I always tell, people ask me quite often what they should say to teenagers about drinking. Mm. And you know, I don't think we should demonize drink because I think if you can drink in a healthy way, that's absolutely fine if you don't mm. drink too much. But what I always say to teenagers is, um, you know, if you're drinking... Um, socially for fun that's one thing if you're drinking on your own as self-medication that's mm. completely different mm. um, and uh, and you know I was by the end I was very much doing the, the latter and you know even if even if you don't want to quit forever or um, you know you don't want to stop altogether I think what is just living life for a while without a prop is a really yeah good thing to do for yourself and it's hard to start off with but you come out the other end of it and you feel like a superhero because you realize that all those stresses and strains and the ups and downs of life you can deal with in the raw mm. and that's really empowering um, thing to do and it, it helps you grow as a person and there's a saying that you know, for people who drink too much, stop maturing at the age where they started drinking too much. Mm. And, you know, I think I was stuck at the age of about 26. Um, and, uh, you know, and I grew up so much in the, the years. As bizarrely, I started looking younger and feeling older <laughs> you know, when I stopped drinking. Um, and, uh, you know, and I, I just, you just learn so much more about yourself and about life and about other people when you're not self-medicating with whatever it is. Mm. So, you know, so anybody who's listening to that who is using something as a prop, just try for a while you, not doing that and just see what you learn. It's yeah. quite interesting. And it doesn't have to be forever as well. Like, I mean, you started out just challenging yourself to 100 days, didn't you? Yeah, um, uh, actually, I... I, I knew that I, I could only think as far ahead as 100 days, but I knew that I couldn't, couldn't start drinking again because, you know, the number of times I've, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a bit all or nothing about everything. And, you know, every time I'd stopped drinking for any period before, I would get to about, um, you know, sort of six weeks or whatever. And I think, well, there we go. Now I've completely reset my relationship with alcohol. Now I'm absolutely fine. I'm never going to get into that position again. Now I know, you know, I'm older and wiser and all that stuff. And I would have one glass of wine and I think, okay, that's fine. I just had one. See how sensible I am. And then the next week I think, okay, well, last week I managed just to have one. So I'll do it again. And that time I'd have two. And then two days later, I'd have three. And within about three or four weeks, I'd be totally back to where I started and, and often worse than where I started. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, I, I know enough about myself to know that 
that would happen again. And I'm the same with smoking. I can't just have one cigarette. I'd be smoking a packet a day again within within weeks. So I think you need to know you you need to know whether you're a and somebody who's able to moderate or not. And yeah. if you are, then all well and good. But if you're not, then trying to just does your head in. Mm. You know, I mean, somebody like me trying to be sensible about about alcohol, about cigarettes, about crisps even is <laughs> really hard and it takes up so much headspace it's much easier for me to not do anything mm. than it is to try and do something a little bit yeah, that yeah. Makes sense. I really liked as well what you said about kind of um turning up to life and, and dealing with life stresses and strains raw and mm. it's kind of getting to know yourself as well and I know this is a slightly touchy subject but I really liked how you um compared you kind of thought what would Daenerys do yeah <laughs> yeah I um, stand by that even after the last episode I was so gutted about Daenerys because she was my heroine and you know she was so strong and wise and brave and you know oh god um for anyone who hasn't seen the the last uh, series of Game of Thrones I'm not going to give you any more details but um uh but yeah I mean actually I found visualization really helpful and you know I spent a lot of time when I when I was years and years ago when I was in advertising um I was often the I was the youngest um uh female board member at the time and um and there weren't very many women on the board at all and so I would walk into meetings with um with all these sort of much older men and feel rather intimidated and um and so I would imagine that I was Madonna um in do you remember desperately seeking Susan? It was that sort of era when she was wearing those sort of conical bras and and I would imagine that I was Madonna wearing a conical bra um and I could shoot laser guns from my nipples. <laughs> And that was the image I had as I walked into that room and I would, you know, and that way I could smash it. And, you know, I think visualizing the person that you want to be um, before you get there is really helpful. So, you know, if you're quitting drinking or you want to change your life in any way, you know, just get a board and put pictures on it of where, you know, what you want your life to look like in you know, a year's time and stick it by your bed and you know and I still have a vision board by my bed and every morning um you know it's I, I don't you know I don't make a point of looking at it but it's just there in my subconscious I know where it is I want to go mm-hmm. um and you know and as as life evolves I take the stuff off that I've already done and I put new stuff on um and that's really helpful to have a clear idea of who you want to be and where you want to go mm. my um I, I had hypnotherapy a couple of years ago and I always remember what she um, what she said about the brain. She said there's a certain part of the brain and it's a bit like a dog and it, all this dog wants to do is to please you. So if you show it what you want, it's going to try its best to subconsciously yeah, get it for really you there. Yeah, um, there's a... Um, uh, there's a trick. I, I wrote a blog post um, last week about a trick I found really helpful when I quit drinking and I still use now, um, which is uh, when the day I quit, I changed all my passwords on everything to I am sober. So, 
like loads of times a day, I would type, I am sober. And it just gets into your subconscious. And it's just a great way of sort of, you know, retraining the way you think. So, you know, um, I'm at the moment I'm thinking of changing all my passwords to I hate sugar. <laughs> but, but, you know, you can, whatever self-esteem issue or, or addiction issue or whatever you're dealing with, you know, changing your passwords is a really helpful sort mm-hmm. of subconscious trick. I'm smiling because I uh, I changed all my passwords to I am engaged a couple of years ago. <laughs> it worked. <laughs> was that before you got engaged? Yeah, or? yeah, that was before I got engaged. <laughs> I was like, I'm going to make this happen. Yeah, well, I think you can. I mean, people talk about manifestation, you know, mm. about how if you believe something is going to happen and you think about, you know, you think about it in a positive way that it, it, it the universe will give it to you. And, you know, I don't know if, if that is true or whether it's just, you know, it's just giving yourself the self-belief and the confidence, but either way that, you know, it works. Mm, yeah, definitely. Kind of whatever, whatever works for you. Um, something else I really connected with when I was reading your book was uh, you said something about, Bridget Jones has got a lot to answer for or, or something like that. (laughs) And oh my goodness, I read it and I was like, yes. I mean, even when I was in, so I was in sick form and, um, I was terrible with any kind of boys and I was called Midget Jones because I'm quite small. (laughs) And, um, that was my nickname. And I honestly thought that I would spend my life just as Bridget Jones did, you Mm. know, glass of wine in hand, um, you know, alone that kind of thing um and I it was my I would put it on every time I was sad I put Bridget Jones on put a bottle get a bottle of wine because I'd be like Bridget and I remember when I met my husband I suddenly had to think hang on a minute this that this has got something going for it here this relationship I'm gonna have to rethink my life plan I'm not gonna be able to be like Bridget Jones anymore and um that kind of obviously I kind of ended up going away from that image of myself but when I read that in your book I thought how many women have her as a kind of icon of adulthood my, my publishers funny enough my publishers describe my book as Bridget Jones dries out yeah. <laughs> um, uh, because you know I really felt like I was I was Bridget and mm. I was even in a BBC documentary about real life Bridget Joneses um, and, um, you know, it wasn't just Bridget, it was also Sex in the City, and it was absolutely fabulous, and um, it was all the, um, uh, you know, all the ladettes at the time, you know, when, uh, you know, when I was, I was sort of, you know, at university, so just after university age. And, um, you know, and for me, I, I felt like drinking was part of being a grown-up, it was about, it was about female emancipation, mm. it was about what the boys could do it was about being wild and carefree and you know it had such a you know there there were no you know that it at that time all the barriers that um might have you know that had been built up previously about not drinking alone and sort of not you know being sensible around alcohol were just torn down you know it was uh, it was very much uh you know i mean we we all felt that that was what everyone did and, and everyone did seem to be doing. I mean, I, when I was at university, I didn't know one single person who didn't drink. Whereas now, apparently, um, you know, what the statistics are saying is that one in three students doesn't drink at all, which mm. is extraordinary to me, you know, <laughs> because mm. I, I really didn't know any. Yeah. 
I think, yeah, there's definitely a culture when you go to university and kind of having to do freshers and things. And mm. I guess I was quite lucky because the course I was on, because I was in, on a performing arts um, foundation degree course. So we had classes from eight o'clock in the morning till six o'clock at night. And if we were doing shows, we would be working till, you know, midnight kind of thing on shows. So we never really had the opportunity to have a hangover, luckily. Mm. Um, and I actually think I drank less at university than I did when I left university, which is probably a little bit backwards. But mm. um, I mean, if anybody has ever done ballet with a hangover, they'd know yeah. <laughs> it's the worst possible well, yeah i mean exercise is one of the best antidotes to to drinking uh, because apart from anything else it releases the same chemicals in your brain there's mm -hmm. endorphins and dopamine and all those things that you sort of you know you get from alcohol you get from exercise mm -hmm. um and it's also just very difficult to drink when you're exercising <laughs> physically you know? yeah. so you can't really take a bottle of wine on a run um so uh, so yeah a lot of people when they quit drinking take up running or yoga or some form of exercise mm, yeah and i think it's also it gives you that social aspect as well if you can go out or um mm. if you join a class if 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 that's something that is appealing to people just being able to join a class and having a an area of your life that isn't revolving around kind of the sunday drinks or you know bottomless brunches i think that can be mm. really really encouraging and and kind of freeing for people yeah and that's that's one of the trickiest things about not drinking is is sort of rearranging your social life because so much of our in this country so much of our socializing is built around some form of drinking so you know it's wine bars it's pubs it's restaurants it's um you know drinks parties and you know that we're very lazy about finding ways of of having fun that doesn't involve some form of alcohol and you know, my life now is so much more varied than than it was because you know over the years the last four years i found more and more different things to do that don't involve drinking so you know now i do a lot more socializing i'm lucky i work from home so i do a lot more socializing during the day i you know i go out for long walks with friends um you know i do um i do a lot of uh, art galleries i do a lot more theater um you know I, I do a lot more experiences rather than just you know just going out for a drink and um yeah so my life is much more varied than than it ever was before mm. gives you that real depth doesn't it depth and variety mm. Did you did you find that your relationship with your husband changed at all when when you stopped drinking? Um, yeah, you know, I was really worried about that because you know he still drinks, and um, you know, so many of of our you know our shared experiences involved you know being drunk, <laughs> or at least drinking. Um, so you know we would love going out for the boozy dinners together and sort of clubbing and all those sorts of you know all those sorts of things. And I was really worried that I was sort of changing the rules in the relationship because he married a party girl and I was now a non-drinker. And what I also had in my head is that if he had turned around to me and said that he wanted to quit drinking when I was still drinking, I would have been utterly horrified. Mm. And what I didn't take into account is 
the fact that that was because my relationship with booze was screwed up and his relationship with booze isn't screwed up. Yeah. So whilst it was something that would have horrified me, it didn't horrify him, you know, the same way at all. It might have horrified him, him if I told him that he could never drink again, but yeah. you know, I, I didn't. And you know, he still, he still drinks, he drinks very sensibly, you know, curse him. <laughs> I know my husband's the same. <laughs> so annoying. Um, no, it really is. So, uh, but actually it has made our relationship a lot better because I'm a much, you know, I'm a happier person now and there's nothing worse than living with somebody who doesn't like themselves, mm. you know, and now I'm, I'm much more confident, I'm much happier, I like myself again, I'm more even tempered, I'm a better mother, um, I'm a, you know, uh, we don't have those stupid rows about nothing anymore, we still row, but you know, not in the same way. Um, so, uh, so actually, you know, I, I think, I think it's from time to time he probably still misses being able to go out and get drunk with me, but you know, it's by far outweighed by the positives. Mm, Yeah. yeah. I think often there's that fear more inside of you. It's, it's, it's your safe place to be drinking. So your brain kind of comes up with all these different reasons why you can't possibly cut down or you can't possibly stop because you know, you'll let everybody else down, but actually, Mm. That's so not the case at all. I mean, Alan, I keep joking with Alan because in the last few weeks, I've possibly been more weird and more sarcastic and just laughing about nothing than I have been in a long time. And I said to him, I said, I bet you wish I drank again now because I'm <laughs> probably more annoying. And he was like, no, because now I actually see you laugh and I see you smile and I know that it's genuine. Oh, that's so sweet. Mm. And it, it does, um, you know, it does, it makes you a lot sharper. You know, I think the, the problem is that when you, when you drink to numb all the difficult stuff in life, you numb all the good bits too. And you, you know, you numb your whole, you know, the, your whole brain, you know, the way sort of, I, you know, I'm, I'm so much more creative and, um, you know, and, and productive now than, than I ever was when I was drinking. Um, so yeah, it's funny how we think that alcohol makes us sort of makes us more creative and it's quite the reverse. Mm-hmm. Um, there's so many people who've contacted me since they quit drinking saying that, you know, they're since they, they stopped their whole lives of, of, uh, transformed in terms of, you know, their careers, their, you know, their love lives, their, their, you know, they've rediscovered old passions. They've, you know, they've just sort of, you know, it's, it's, it's a really, it's no, it gives you a superpower, really. It's a big kickstart. Mm. So how even for people who don't drink that much. Yeah. How, how do you feel about um, the, the fact that you have got so many people kind of messaging you and, you know, sharing their experiences, asking for advice? Do you find it really fuels you or do you sometimes feel like there's an, a bit of an added pressure to keep it up? Do you, do you put pressure um, on yourself at all or...? Uh, I, I don't think, I, I, no, I don't feel the pressure to, to uh, keep up the not drinking and that I can't imagine ever going back to drinking again. Mm-hmm. That's, that's, not, that's not an issue. Um, and, you know, and I, I, like, I like being, it's funny, um, Alcoholics Anonymous, their final step is give, what they call giving back um, because, um, you know, it's really good for you to remember why it is that you are where you are and what it was like when you weren't. And every time I have a message from somebody, it reminds me what it was like 
um, because funny enough, our experiences are so similar. You know, so even if you come from a completely different country, a different background, different age group, you know, what, what you go through when you're drinking and when you quit drinking is very, very similar. So it's great to be reminded of that. And it's really giving back is a really valuable thing to do in life generally and however you do it. Um, you know, it's good for your, it's good for other people, but it's also good for your own mental health and your own sense of well-being so uh, so no I'm I'm yeah I, I love that about about what you know about the book the fact that it's brought me in contact with so many so many people mm. and the one thing that worries me sometimes is I have zero qualifications <laughs> in, in <laughs> anything like psychotherapy or addiction studies or whatever I've read a huge amount I've talked to God knows how many people, and I've I've lived through it myself. But I have no professional qualifications, so mm. you know, all I can do is is, uh, is tell people what my experience was, and and you know, uh, but I'm I'm not a professional, so you know, I always have to caveat anything <laughs> with that. Yeah, no, I get I completely get it because I I obviously talk quite a lot about kind of addictions and, and eating disorders and things like that, and I only have sometimes you do get that little bit of self doubt being like who am I to talk about this mm. actually sometimes somebody with the experience themselves are just as powerful as someone that has read all the books but can't emotionally connect to it and yeah it's good yeah. to have those different kinds of people out there yes and you know I think um you know what's what's interesting I, I expected to get a lot more trolling I expected to have a lot more people contacting me in a negative way and I've had very little and I think what I've realized is that um, you know if you if you ever listen to Brené Brown she is brilliant on 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 um, the issue of vulnerability and what she says and it's so true is that you know if you if you tell uh, if you tell the truth about yourself if you um, you know if if you are honest and authentic and you make yourself vulnerable people will, you know, people will forgive you anything, really, you know, I mean, where, where you end up getting trolled, and you end up with people being aggressive towards you is when you're putting on a front, mm. I think, when you're when not you're being authentic, to be something you're not. Mm. Um, but if you turn, you know, I, I basically, you know, I'm very open about the fact that I don't really know anything. I'm very open about the fact that I, you know, my life was in a complete mess. And, and I think, I think therefore, you know, people have been very generous towards me. How did your, because obviously you started writing as a, your experience down as a blog. How mm. did that grow from blog to book? Because I know, obviously you've said people have told you to, you know, make it into a book, but how did that journey happen? I was. I was very lucky, actually, in that I, uh, you know, it was it was the right time for for that sort of book. So I wrote a proposal. So with non, if you want to publish nonfiction, and I, I, I just, to be honest, I just googled all of this stuff. You know? so, and what I discovered is, if you want to publish nonfiction uh, rather than fiction, you don't have to write the whole book in advance before you start. To talking to people about it you write a proposal which is a few pages long about what you want to write and and why and why you and who the market is and all that sort of stuff um, and then you attach the first few chapters of, of the book um, and and that's what I did I pulled that little package together 
and I sent it to a number of agents and I was lucky I had two agents who who offered to represent me and I picked one of those agents and then she sent the proposal out to an, uh, you know, about 10 publishers and about five of them wanted to meet me and offered me um, uh, offered me a, a deal. And I went with a publisher called um, Hodron Stoughton, so one of the, the big the big publishers. And I had a wonderful um, editor uh, called Charlotte Hardman, who was, uh, who was fabulous. And she, um, I wrote the first draft of the book. She helped me edit it. Um, and the whole process took from from the time I sent out the from the time I, I was given a publishing contract to the time the book came came out on the shelf was about a year. Um, so it's quite quick. Whereas um, as what I'm discovering now is fiction is much slower. <laughs> yeah, because you're writing a novel at the moment. Is that right? Yeah, I've, I've written it. Um, and actually, the, the novel was inspired by by my whole experience, because it's called The Authenticity Project. And it's about what happens when you tell the truth about your life rather than, than you know, the sort of fiction that we all portray on social media, etc. And it has an addict in it, obviously, although it's a, a, he's a guy called Hazard and he's a coke addict, but he's gorgeous and I'm secretly in love with him. Um, and there are, there are six main characters and they, the book is told from the perspective of those six different people. And in a way, each of them is kind of like, you know, has a different aspect of me, I suppose. Um, and I think often with a first novel, you write from your own experience. And, and this book for me is very personal. So, so yes, it's about addiction. It's about, it's about um, addiction to, uh, to drugs and alcohol. It also covers social media addiction, um, uh, you know, and uh, also other issues like loneliness, and connection and how we all strive for real connections when actually we have thousands of online connections that are very shallow and don't really mean anything so so yeah so it goes into a whole load of things that are very important to me and uh, and that comes out next year next April um, in uh, the UK and the US and uh, and in 28 different languages amazingly oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah that's incredible yeah. So it's really exciting, but uh, but yeah, again, it's a long process. So so I finished writing, finished writing the authenticity project nearly a year ago, and I've just now finished the edits, and it will be on shelf in just under a year's time. Do you find that when you kind of have to keep going through it, do you find that you get to a point where you're like, I I physically cannot read this book anymore? Um, read it. Well, so when you're editing, editing, you mean? Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean. What I find fascinating is I've been working with, because I'm, my book's been published simultaneously in the UK and the US, I'm working with an editor in the UK and an editor in the US. Um, and, you know, I can read something five or six times and, um, you know, and not see a really big issue. And then somebody, you know, one of my editors will go, what about, you know, what about this character here? How do they get from there to there or whatever it might be? And I'm like, oh my God, I didn't see that. Mm-hmm. And I think the you get so close to it that you need somebody with a bit of distance to, you know, I mean, I, I think people who self-publish are extraordinary because, you know, it's, it's very difficult to do that work on your own. You mm. know, you need somebody with a bit of distance to be able to look at it and see where the faults are. Yeah. So it's a fascinating process to go through. Yeah, it is. I, writing I, is my new addiction. You know, we talked earlier about, about coping strategies and about how you deal with life. And what I've realized is that for me, as soon as I quit drinking, I had this urge to write, which is why mm. I started a blog. And I realized that for me, my healthy way of dealing with, 
you know, the stresses and strains of life is reading and writing because it takes me out of myself. Yeah. And I think we all need to get, you know, the expression out of your head or off your head is, is, is a very good one because we all have that need to get out of our heads sometimes. We need a bit of space and we need a bit of a break from, you know, all that chatter that goes on in, in your mind. And my, what I used to do is drink, you know, I'd have all this chatter going on and I'd have a glass of wine and it would go, ooh, like a dimmer switch. And now I write or I read and that takes me out of where I am into a completely different place. And when I come back, I'm more calm and sorted. And some people use exercise to do that. Some people use art. Um, Some people use music as a great way of transporting yourself. You know, we all need to, you know, so if you're trying to get get over any form of addiction or any unhealthy habit, Try and find a healthy way of getting out of your head would be my advice. Yeah, I completely agree. I I started writing my book when I was going through treatment and recovery. Um, Mm. And it was so cathartic to not only tell the truth for the first time in so long, but just to have everything written down and being able to emotionally distance yourself from those thoughts and feelings. Um, and it's something I do a lot with some of the people that I work with, kind of, you know, taking yourself away from that emotional response and being able to look at it from a different light or a different point yeah. of view. Different yeah, and it's a, it's a really healthy, helpful record to keep as well because often, you know, when you're six months down the line, you forget you forget what it felt like back then. And that's the point at which it's very easy to slip back into those old habits. So mm-hmm. if you've documented what you were going through and what it felt like at the time you can read back at that and think oh no way I'm going there again <laughs> mm, yeah that, uh, yeah that instant kind of takes away the rose tinted glasses and you see it for what it really was yeah exactly how do you find because I mean how old are your children now are they uh, well now that they are my eldest is 15 and uh then my middle one is 13 and my little one is 10 so, oh, so they're a bit older than they were when I wrote the book. I started writing the book. They were between six and 11. Yeah. How do you find with the oldest one? Have you found um, that maybe you, have they, have they come across your book or have they heard about that? How, how do you find those conversations with your children? Oh, you know, they, they, I had to tell them all. I had to, to tell them about it in, and all the detail about it as well because I didn't want anybody else talking to them about it other mm. than me you know, when they hadn't heard it from me. So, so what we did is, I mean, they knew, they knew when it was coming out and they were really proud of me. Um, you know, it was, uh, I remember going into a bookshop with them and finding my book for the first time and they took picture, they all took pictures of themselves holding my book and they were so proud and they came to my book launch. Um, but what, what I did when it came out was um, the audio version. Um, uh, uh, we were doing a big drive, we were driving up to Scotland for, for uh, for Christmas, and uh, we put the audio version on in the car because what I said to them is that way we can listen to it all together, and if they have any questions, they could ask me when we're all there, and we can talk about it and anything they're worried about. So so we listen to it together, and uh, and they um, you know I think the only the only issues that they they had with it, my youngest one was a bit fed up by some of the stories I told about her as a baby. She's like, you know, she's like, well, that's not fair. I'm all grown up now. <laughs> and I'm 
sure I didn't say that, and I'm sure I didn't do that. <laughs> but other than that, they, uh, you know, they, they're really, they're really supportive about the whole thing. Oh, that's so nice. And it's really good to be able to have those conversations as well, because I think it can be quite uh, tempting to keep them, keep them safe, and kind of hide them yeah. away from things. But actually, at some point, they're gonna they're going to realize or they're going to they're going to know or find out and from experience i think they're a lot more adept to coping with it when they have been spoken to almost like a, a young adult yeah yeah no i agree and um you know i mean but there are things that i won't write because of them so um so i'm i'm not sure uh, my i had a publisher approach me recently about doing another non-fiction book and you know, I'm not sure that I want to carry on writing about my life and my family because I don't think it's fair on them um, necessarily. And and also, um, uh, you know, there are things I, I won't write about because I'm conscious that my children will read them. So, so for instance, with a novel, I remember my, one of my editors said, she said, um, you know, you've got to spice up this love scene, you know. I mean, we, you've got to have them in bed. And I'm like, I can't write a sex scene. My kids will read it. <laughs> and, um, yeah, and, and I'm very, you know, that, that's the sort of thing I'm very nervous about writing about. So, you know, I wouldn't write in the sober diaries. I didn't talk about my sex life at all because children mm. do want to hear about their parents having sex no, definitely not so there are some things that you know I, I won't I won't write about mm. did did you find that um I mean we, ha- we haven't really touched on this but you um at the latter part of the book you were diagnosed with um breast cancer so. mm, yes how did, did did you find that writing about that again was a way to communicate those thoughts and those feelings that you're going through and as a second part of the question did when your when your children listen to it did they find that useful as well to kind of see it from mummy's perspective yeah um you know my that uh, reminds me that when my um eldest first she read the book bits of the book before we listened to it together and the reason we listened to it together was because of her reaction because what she did was she skipped forward in the book to that bit um and and she got really upset because she said i had no idea what you were going through and why didn't you tell why didn't you tell us how difficult it was and she knew i had breast cancer but i put such a smiley face on the whole thing that she didn't know how hard it was and um you know and and i said to her look it was really important to me that you guys carried on as normal because that was my that was what i needed i needed everything to carry on as normal and that's why i didn't tell you because i needed you to be like that if you know so and you were and that was the most helpful thing for me at that time was you you being happy and and you know ca- like everything carrying on as it should um so uh so so yeah it's but come back to your question about was it helpful writing about it it was immensely helpful and i think the fact that i'd already um i'd already got used to dealing with in my emotions um over the previous month so it was eight months after i quit drinking that i was diagnosed with breast cancer and by then i'd been through such an emotional journey that i was already much better at dealing with stuff and dealing with life generally um and without any form of of prop 
And, um, and, but the weird thing is the day I found the lump, um, my first thought was, I really need a, I really need to drink a bottle of vodka. <laughs> and my second thought was, no, you don't. You need to write about it. And I went down to the kitchen, got out my laptop, and the first thing I did, literally five minutes after finding the lump, was to blog about it. Mm. Uh, and my husband found out about it from reading my blog, um, rather than me telling him, which was kind of weird. Um, but I found, yeah, it was invaluable to me, that outlet. And I had emails and messages from people all over the world sharing their cancer stories. And uh, there was a woman in Wisconsin, I'll never forget this, and she sent me a message saying, um, you know, I got my whole congregation of 200 people to pray for you. Um, and I was like, you know, honestly, it was so mostly quite tearful now thinking back then. But the you know, the support and the help I got from all those people was amazing, you know, so, and because they were in different time zones, there would be times when I was awake in the middle of the night and I would read a message from somebody in Australia saying, you know, I had breast cancer and 10 years ago, I'm absolutely fine, you know, and it was, yeah, it was really helpful. Mm, I think the power of people is so incredible and we i know we social media kind of can get a bit of a bad rep sometimes with you know there are always people that take it to the to the wrong extreme but actually the best thing that i found about social media is the fact that as long as you follow the right people and you, you know, whether it be Instagram or um, groups on Facebook, as long as those are the people that you aspire to be and those people that you look up to, that where you really find your tribe of people. It doesn't matter if yeah. you've never met before and they will rally around you. And that is the, the greatest thing. And, and it's actually when I listened to your book, we were talking earlier about how I wanted to be Bridget Jones. When I listened to the book, I was like, I want to be Claire Pooley when I grow up. <laughs> because oh, it it's just you know it's that that ability to reach out and touch people and help people and the people i think sometimes don't realize the amount of love and affection and support you get back from those people reading mm -hmm. or connecting with you is so integral and so important. well there's, there's a great ted talk by a guy called johan johan harry and it's called everything you thought you knew about addiction was wrong i don't know if you've you've uh, you've watched it um and he the final line of that ted talk is he says the opposite of addiction is connection and um you know and i i think that's very true you know he talks about how um you know the way to get over any of these you know these bad habits is to to form you know genuine and diverse connections with with other people and uh, and the internet can be really helpful with that i think the danger of the internet is when people are not genuine or authentic and we end up comparing the worst of our insides with the best of other people's outsides if yeah. that makes sense yeah you know you can end up looking at these seemingly perfect lives on instagram thinking my life is so inadequate um, and that's that's the danger of it. The best of it is where people uh, are vulnerable and say, you know, my life isn't perfect because of X, Y, and Z. And you think, oh, it's not just me. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and there's another there's another quote. There's uh, by uh, C.S. Lewis, and he says something on the lines of, um, "Great friendship is formed where one person says to another, um, I thought it was only me.'" 
Um, and uh, and that's, you know, I think that's very true. I think, you know, just th those shared feelings and experiences are really powerful. Mm, yeah, 100%. I totally agree with that. How, how has your life changed over the last kind of two years since the book came out and, and you've got further into your journey? Oh God, it's, it's completely different really. I mean, I, I, thought, I thought when you quit drinking that it would be a few weeks of readjustment and then, you know, your life would be, some, you would be somewhere else. And what I didn't realize is that actually the changes keep on coming, not just for the first few months, but the first year and then the second year. And, you know, it does, it, it, it does, the changes keep happening. And there's not, this isn't just my experience, it's the experience of a number of people that, that I've, uh, you know, I'm, I, I've, uh, I've heard from. So, um, uh, yeah, so in the first year, it was, it was, it was a lot of internal work. So, you know, I think in the first year of quitting drinking or any form of addiction, you spend a lot of time looking inwards and working out who you are and where, why you are the way you are and who you want to be, all of those things. And then the second year um, is, is often about, okay, now I'm in a much better place. What do I want to do now? And you start looking externally again and thinking about the rest of your life and how you want to live it. And, um, you know, I feel very much like, you know, I've got a third act in life. You know, I feel like my first act was, was um, you know, sort of uh, my early career and, and my life in advertising and, and um, you know, the Bridget Jones days. And my second act was, was, uh, was being a mum and bringing up three kids. And now I feel I've got this whole new act, which is about, being a writer about um, you know helping other people about um, you know experiencing new things um, you know I've yeah I feel like I've got a whole new go at life really and and the cancer thing has, has informed that too because I, you know I spent we always feel immortal we always think there's loads of time to do the stuff we want to do you know and we always think you know one day I will write a book you know one day I will um, you know go to Iceland um, whatever it might be and uh, and when you have cancer and you know I'm in remission now but you know I, I could at any stage be given you know an 18 month life sentence um, and uh, you know it makes me realize that you can't dick around and think one day I'll do x y and z you have to get on and do it and mm. um, that's what I've been doing is is just getting on and doing all the things that I want to do um, and making experiences for my children um, so because the other thing I've realized is that stuff doesn't matter you know spending money on things is 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 a waste of a waste of money a waste of time and that what we should be spending our money on is experiences that we will remember and that our children will remember so you know I've the last year or two we've been to you know I've, I've done trips with the kids to, to much more interesting places and experiences than we've ever done before because I just I want them to have things to remember not just stuff that goes out of date you know? yeah that's so nice I yeah I just want to say a huge thank you for taking some time to chat to me today it's You're been so lovely your time I've really enjoyed it thank you Tell, um, tell everyone where they can find you and kind of what to look out for. 
Oh, I'm on all the all the socials, as they say. So uh, you can find me on Twitter, which is at cpooleywriter. I'm on Instagram at Claire underscore Pooley. There is another Claire Pooley on Instagram who got get, keep poor thinking. I think got bombarded with questions about not drinking. <laughs> She's like, what's going on? And I started doing Instagram. <laughs> um, and uh, um, I'm on, I have a Facebook page called Sober Mummy, which, uh, which I post sort of stuff about, about not drinking on um, several times a week. Um, I also, my blog is still live. I don't, I don't post on, on my, uh, on Mummy was a, so, uh, a secret drinker, my blog um, uh, anymore, but it's all, all the blog posts are there. So there's four years worth of, of material there if you want to read it. And my book is on Amazon um, and in uh, all good bookshops. Um, uh, so yeah, so that's it. And I've started a new blog as well. If you're over the age of 45, um, I've started a new blog, which is called life in the hot lane. Uh, so it's life in the hot lane.com, which is all about life as a woman over the age of 45. <laughs> so, so that's it. Amazing. What we'll do is we'll pop all of those links in our show notes. Um, so you can head onto them and make sure you give Claire a really good follow and a cheer on um and definitely buy the book it's it's one of the best i mean i've admittedly i listened to it i'm better at listening to books than i am reading them but um i i've just found it just addictive to listen to which is probably not the right word to use but <laughs> <laughs> oh, a good addiction hopefully yeah, <laughs> thank you i've Thank you. <laughs> thank you to anyone listening. Um, you know, thank you for staying with us this long. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thank you. Bye.